Yay. Okay. So this is a, an experiment where you're trying to get that voice to not announce the recording. And so anyways, it was a little bit of a struggle. Happy it worked. Um, so good morning, friends. We're here for another, another day of uh, Metta Bhavana, cultivating this quality of loving kindness. On Friday night, I mentioned that metta is part of the four Brahma Viharas, but I actually don't know if I named all the Brahma Viharas, so I'll name them now. The first one is loving kindness or metta. The second is karuna or compassion. The third is mudita, which is translated in different ways. Um, all sympathetic joy, altruistic joy, appreciative joy. And then the last one, uh, upeka, is equanimity. I like to think that there are three honorary other heart qualities. I include gratitude, generosity, and forgiveness as well in that list, in that informal list. Because for me, those are expressions of heart as well, just different forms. Just a little review what we've been doing since Friday evening. Um, so we spent Friday evening and Saturday sending metta or sharing metta with ourselves. Yesterday afternoon, we added benefactor and a neutral person. Today or this morning, we're going to start to include difficult beings and then this afternoon, all beings. And then we went about it a few ways, phrases for some folks. That's how you may be working. Other folks, you might be using, um, using the help of images to, in addition to your phrases to help cultivate that, that felt sense or quality. And then others are using visualizations to bask in the, the feeling or the felt sense of metta. And so you're not working with phrases. It could also be a combination of something of, of that, you know, perhaps you're creating your own, your own way. And that's totally fine too. Um, even though according to the poly commentaries, as I mentioned, it's, it's laid out in a pretty um, formulaic way. I like to think that with this practice, there are actually, there are no rules. It's just like whatever helps to soften your own heart. Yeah, so that's the little review. And, and to pick up from the question that was received yesterday afternoon on how to work with the difficult category, the difficult beings category, a few things come up. And so we spent a day and a half cultivating or establishing loving kindness in ourselves first which is quite important in my experience than say going in hot and starting with the difficult category, the difficult beings for several reasons. One is I, I might not have the capacity to turn toward the difficult folks in my life or the difficult category in my life. If I don't have that establishment of meta in myself beforehand. So it's almost like, um, I might burn myself out or I might actually cause harm 
because I'm not um, yet ready for it or the container isn't, isn't prepped or something like that. Another reason why I like to think that meta for the difficult person is a little later down the list, in addition to needing to have cultivated this capacity within ourselves in say pleasant and neutral territory, I think that sometimes when we rush to send loving kindness to difficult people, it can easily be or, or subtly be spiritual bypassing where we may not really want to um, face the difficulty that this difficult person may be bringing up within us or in the world or, or the harm that they're causing. And so we might misuse th this practice and say, oh, but, but it's okay. You know, I don't want to let them out of my heart. May they be happy. May they be well. But it's actually denying what is also arising within us. As you've probably tuned into, um, loving kindness or any of these, so many of the, the aspects of this practice, it doesn't, they don't arise as like a silo, like on its own without any other conditions around. For example, we might get to the difficult category of sending metta, and then we realize that we're hurt as well. And so then there's that complexity there. It's not like, oh, I established metta with, with the benefactor, neutral person with myself, and now it's all good. I can go to the difficult person. It's very rarely so clean cut, in my opinion. And so... Did you hear that? I just want to know how. Yeah, okay. No? Okay. Tati, I think you heard it because you're down the street from me. <laughs> but anyways, <clears throat> it was um, a loud, um, I think, a motorcycle or something like that. Anyways, and so um, the way that I, I, I kind of see how all of the love, how all of the heart qualities kind of support us. So it's not like a standalone, like when metta is happening, only do metta and then mudita, only mudita. It's like they don't, they don't exist in isolation, but they're really just this, this um, blend. Sometimes I've heard, heard things described as like um, different facets of a crystal, sometimes a hologram or the Buddhist teachings as a hologram. And so we may get to the difficult category and then realize that there's still a lot of hurt there. And so we might need to take a side road and practice self-compassion first. And then maybe practice a lot of self-compassion, perhaps for months or years, before we can uh, start opening in, a, in an intentional and direct way toward the difficult category. Um, there's a teacher, I met her at IMS, but I think she's based in California. Her name's Carol Wilson. She has said, fake meta is better than real aversion. And so, so I like that because aversion is um, this quality of, this quality, I don't even want to say heart, quality of mind that can, when, um, when without mindfulness can fester and then bloom 
or turn into harmful, other harmful qualities <clears throat> like anger and then the violence that comes from anger, etc. So fake metta is better than real aversion. The way we're going to practice, though, is we're not going to bring in the people that are triggering or activating for us right away. But we build up our capacity, as I've said yesterday and already a couple of times today, where we'll start with, again, kind of reviewing the qualities, setting loving kindness for ourselves, benefactor, um, neutral person. And then we'll move toward a difficult person. And we could even rename it as like an unpleasant person. So just to, to drive the point home a little bit more that we're not going for those that are triggering. It might be somewhat, I don't know, like the neighbor that there's they're setting up their balcony garden and then they didn't realize like all the soil fell onto your balcony and they didn't clean it up or so. I don't know, something like that. Or um, maybe a coworker who just gets on your nerves or something. Not even if you've lived this, not even the coworker who stole an idea in a meeting, not yet there, just, you know, starting off um, more subtle, more uh, or smaller, more direct. <clears throat> and then the thing as well is that um, when we practice loving kindness for this difficult being or beings, the intention in my, in my opinion, and this helped me a lot, the intention or the goal is not to love them necessarily. So if we think of the spectrum, um, anywhere else could be good enough. In my opinion, it could be tolerance, acceptance, Non-hate even is still good enough than hate because hate can be so harmful. And it's also really normal, just like loving kindness to ourselves, or at least in my experience, that I can travel up and down that spectrum quite quickly or, or um, make many stops throughout the day. Um, same thing when we practice metta for a difficult person, we might go from non-hate to tolerance, maybe acceptance, nope, back to non-hate. And then we might kind of hang out there a lot. And then maybe there's a time where it's like, oh, maybe I can be friendly. Nope, nope, back to tolerance or something, you know? So, so that might be more the dance. And I think for me, at least, that's a lot more realistic than thinking I need to, um, somehow love them when they may have caused a lot of harm. And just the reminder that even if we manage at some point to get to friendliness in our, in our scale of metta toward a difficult person, it doesn't necessarily mean we need to let them into our lives. It's just tuning into that softening of the heart and that we're not letting them out of our heart. Um, one thing that I found quite helpful for me, or sorry, to back up that, that um, not letting them out of, out of your heart, it's kind of like, I wish you well, just not around me <laughs> or something like that. I've used that many times. And so, um, and, and I can genuinely mean it. It's like, I hope you're happy, but I don't need you in my life. 
And it took me a long time to get there because I thought as a practitioner, as a teacher, I needed to be a certain way. I needed to like love everyone and let everyone in and et cetera. And, and I think that's sometimes like this, this great paradox or a big paradox in this practice. It's like, yes, the invitation is to be present for what is with non-judgment, perhaps even a loving awareness and not to be a doormat. And so I've used in a past long-term relationship, I think I've misused the practice in subtle ways that um, allowed me to stay in, um, in a relationship that had like a lot of gaslighting and a lot of manipulation because I was like, well, I have, I have a certain resilience. I know how to be with discomfort. Um, and so if I can create pleasant conditions for, for this person, then the gaslighting, the manipulation will stop, et cetera. Of course it didn't, but, um, but misusing that. So I was misusing the practice in that way. Um, and then something that helps me a lot is um, imagining folks that I know would like fire up and stand up for me by my side as I'm, I'm uh, practicing loving kindness for a difficult person. Um, just because relationships are complicated I think when I was still in that relationship with the gaslighting and manipulation, that it was hard for me to see clearly to some degree. <clears throat> and so when, um, but then I think there's like lots of people in my life that were like, wouldn't take bullshit on my behalf. And so when I started including, um, when that person became my ex and I started including them as like the difficult um, person, I, I just was, I didn't feel in some ways like I, I was strong enough to have, or I didn't yet have my boundaries in place to, to be clear. And so I would imagine my friends who never really liked him, but only told me when it ended, but <laughs> which was a lot of them, but anyways, that um, by my side. And so to know that I wasn't alone and like strength in numbers, basically. And they could be different friends for different situations um, as well. So, so it's quite beautiful who will show up basically when we, when we call on our folks to accompany us. Um, one of, I, there was a comment yesterday to me about, um, oh, this feels so selfish. You know, the fact that we spent like half a day and then the Friday evening sending loving kindness to ourselves. And I get that. That's a, a very common comment. But the way that I see it, and I'm trying to, this, I, I think a lot in images, and that's why I share them with you, but I'm trying to come up with a better image. But anyways, I think of when we practice loving kindness to ourselves, it's like um, a champagne glass, like pyramid. I've only ever seen it on TV or, or in movies, but 
but where they like the waiter, let's say pours water, uh, pours water, pours champagne, I guess, in that top glass, and then they it overflows, and then it 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 fills up the the cups beneath. So I think of loving kindness in that way, where yes, it might feel selfish. However, we are filling our own well so much that it is inevitable that it for it to not spill out and touch others as well. That has been my experience completely. And then I like to think that the difficult person, it's like way, way down below. So it's not really near me, but they, they get some of it eventually. Um, although this isn't the theme of our retreat, but I mentioned forgiveness as one of the my honorary heart qualities. I think when it, I, I, I bring it up now because I think sometimes when we have a difficult person in our lives, another tendency around the, the spiritual bypass is we might try to rush to um, to forgive them as well. And... Um, but I like to think of forgiveness as something that arises naturally when the conditions are there. What are the conditions? Well, when, there, when we tended to ourselves with self-compassion, when we establish loving kindness, when we can start seeing that interbeing or interconnection that these teachings, loving kindness included, helps us touch into. And then, um, and then from there, forgiveness arises as opposed to something we actively do or try for. That's, I mean, I, I'm sure more will come up around, around this, but that's just some, some things to set you up for our meditation right now. And then maybe the last thing I'll say, and I'll remind this of uh, remind you of this during the meditation. But if by chance you chose somebody who's like low level, difficult, like more unpleasant, but then you might uncover in this practice that there's actually more hurt there than you realize, and then suddenly they turn into a it, it turns into maybe more than you're ready for on a Sunday morning. You can apply any of the stuff that Coral and I talked about yesterday in the Q&I. You might open your eyes, look around the room. You might reorient yourself to something pleasant. You might revert back to maybe practicing metta for yourself or even self-compassion. Or you might drop the practice completely, and maybe focus on breath, look out a window, focus on sight instead. At some point, you might feel um, resourced enough to once again retake re on that practice. And, and it's okay if, if you feeling ready to take it back on is in months or years or in weeks and days. It doesn't have to be in this session, basically. So with that said... Um, Let's practice. Let's try this on. And now knowing that it is um, 
loving kindness for this difficult category, you might intentionally choose a, a, a posture that is nurturing or overly nurturing or something. Um, not so often in this practice, I find, do we use the sense of touch to resource? And so you might um, put on your favorite socks, grab your binky, grab your favorite blanket. And then if things get overwhelming, you might just feel it under your fingertips to help bring you back into your body and into this moment. These can be closed or slightly open, turned downward. And take a few moments to arrive in the ways that you like to arrive or start a meditation practice. Could be a few full breaths, orienting yourself, relaxing the body. Begin to integrate your loving kindness practice, but starting with yourself. You might try one of the other doorways in that was offered that you haven't tried yet. Or knowing that later we'll practice sending metta to a difficult person, you might right away call on your, your folks, your good friends, your benefactors, and imagine them looking at you and just being so happy to see you and being like, hey. In my mind, they say to me, hey, girl, hey. And then they're sending you metta, whether through words, gestures, their facial expressions, the felt sense.
the mind might wander, might forget your phrases or that felt sense might fade, in which case just start over. Reconjure up the image, start at the phrase you do remember. It's not so much the phrases that really count, but that caring intention, that sincere attention. Let the phrases for metta for yourself slowly fade away if you're working with phrases. And then we'll turn toward our benefactor. And so you may keep the same folks that visited you to send loving kindness to, to you. You might keep them around and now say, hey, you too. May you be happy. May you be healthy.
Noticing if there's any grasping in how you're practicing. And if you can relax into just this caring attention or the eventual cultivation of this quality and trusting in that. Fake metta is better than real aversion. Sometimes slowing down the phrases so that there's long pauses in between can help with that softening, that embodiment. And if you're working with visualizations, intending or aiming for just a subtle feeling of this warmth and expansion and groundedness, Supposed to big fireworky feelings that you might think meta needs to be.
Let these phrases fade. If you're using images, imagining your benefactor standing by your side. And transition to a neutral person. Maybe the same neutral person from yesterday or a new neutral person. In the teachings, it says that when we turn our awareness to something that is neutral, eventually it becomes pleasant. Is that true for you in regards to the neutral person and practicing loving kindness?
can finish this round of loving kindness for a neutral person. And if need be, reminding yourself if you're working with the image of having allies by your side or good friends, you might remind yourself that they're by your side as you bring to mind an unpleasant person. So keeping it simple for now, choosing a person instead of a group of people. And someone not overly activating or triggering. Perhaps a neighbor who no, maybe played their music a little a little loud around your bedtime. or a friend who leaves you on red, who may not reply to any of your messages. Or a coworker. that borrowed your favorite pen and never returned it. In working with this person, you might add in as possible to your phrases. You might also tune into how the mind can play perhaps tricks and tell you or try to convince you to not include this person and maybe even tell you that there's not enough metta for this person despite it being a boundless or limitless quality. And if those thoughts arise, instead of maybe brushing them away, you might tune into them. It could be your wounded and fragile part that's acting up, the part that we visited on Friday when we were sending loving kindness to the different parts of ourselves. In which case you might pause and intend to that part of yourself by saying it's okay or we're trying something new. 
And then you return to sending loving kindness to this difficult person. If you're working with the image of a window and the sun coming through and the sun's warmth being the felt sense of loving kindness, you might imagine that it's a big window and that immediately to your sides and in front of you are your friends and allies. And a little off to the side is this difficult person. They're able to get some of that sun. But it doesn't need to be like a one-on-one with them. However, if this is a little activating in any way, or perhaps even a lot activating, you might open your eyes, look out the window, or intentionally turn your attention towards something that's pleasant. You might return to loving kindness for or from the benefactor. And so not practicing loving kindness for a difficult person at your own sacrifice or at your sake. So making sure that there's, that you're being held. Held in in compassion.
And you can let this fade away. In the last couple minutes left here, you might redirect loving kindness or this or this time self-compassion. Redirect metta to yourself or practice self-compassion. Or perhaps simply hang out in this space without doing phrases, without necessarily trying or efforting in any way, but just noticing what's here. Um, so just wanting to mention a couple things I had uh, said at the beginning that a paradox in this practice is how to be with whatever life is however life is arising with non-judgment and with um, loving awareness even or kindness and yet not to be a doormat and I think that's um a big dance, at least that I play with this practice in my life. There are two aspects of mindfulness, and the first one is the one that gets the most airtime, in my opinion. Yet we practice both whenever we're practicing. The first one is, as I mentioned, so um, this awareness that we're bringing that is receptive. So it's this receptive quality, and we're bringing this um, receptive receptivity to how life is arising, non-judgment, kindness, curiosity, etc. But then the second aspect is, and then what? <laughs> so it's the active quality. So there's the receptive and then the active. And then with the, and then what? It's like, well, based on the information we receive through our mindfulness, we get to choose. And that's what I love about mindfulness. It, it, it makes that choice point and, when we are mindful, more apparent. Ruth King, a um, US-based teacher and author of Mindfulness of Race said um, something like, suffering demands our attention and what we do next matters. 
And so it could be, for example, in, in a practice, your knee is sore. And then, so we are aware of it, but then what we do next matters. We might stay in that posture or we might adjust. Uh, we might notice that the breath is not how we want it to be. And then, so it's like, and then what? Do we start taking deep breaths? Do we practice being with it, even if it's not how we want it to be? And so there's always that active quality happening, but we don't often bring attention to it. And so I think then when we start bringing mindfulness into our lives, that active part really starts stepping up. And then qualities like mindful discernment really comes into play, I think, I find. And then the other part is I, um, I, I would love to try and find an alternate version of difficult person. Um, I just find that's very limiting as, as like wording personally. Um, but then I keep forgetting I want to try and find an alternate word. And so that, um, but if we, if we go back to Friday evening and that meditation on um, loving your many sides, one of the byproducts of that meditation for me is, is well, one is I love the, the quote-unquote difficult category of that where it's we're sending loving kindness to our fragile and wounded part. Because suddenly, at least for me, I would... When I would do something that wasn't in line with my values and I would go into that shame cycle, as I told you, it was because I was a bad person. But then with that practice, it helped me see that, no, it's this part of me got activated and for whatever reason was, was making bad choices, etc. And then when I started practicing with that more, the love your many sides, then sometimes if I bumped up against someone, I might be able to recognize, oh, that's maybe their fragile and wounded part being activated. And so it allowed me to have more space around around um, just my opinions about this person, perhaps, or the thoughts that might arise. Like it, it was less personal. Compassion was more available for this person. And I still didn't really need to engage and become friends and let them into friends with them, let them into my life, etc. But I just noticed that there was this spaciousness or softening in the heart in regards to that person. And then of course the challenge is like, well, what happens when that fragile and wounded part is very frequent? And I think that's, um, that's, and you know that's really difficult and it's and then that's where discernment comes in like how much we want to engage or how we want to engage or if it's a group of people maybe it's about um organizing protesting petitioning etc you know and so so it might be that or at least those are some of the ways that i think of it too that just because it's a their fragile and wounded part doesn't excuse basically the harm and the and what we're trying to do is we're trying to um cultivate with this practice wholesome or skillful or helpful states or or qualities or or habits of mind and heart and so for me helpful or wholesome so the the pali word is kusala it's often translated as as wholesome, but I, I also like helpful because for me, it feels more grounded and immediate. 
But then it's like helpful for what? Well, something that creates less suffering for me and others now and later. And it's, and it's not absolutely no suffering. I think that's a high bar as well. That's one of those, um, you know, if we, it's like too binary, it's too simplistic. It's not about no suffering, but uh, the least amount of harm. And we'll make mistakes, but with mindfulness, as I said yesterday, we hopefully will learn from the mistakes, recalibrate, cause less harm and less harm and less harm. At least that's my hope, and that's why I practice. Um, yeah, so just want to clarify those things. So right now we have a movement period for the next uh, 40-ish minutes. So we'll be back here at quarter two for another just reflections and practice on, um, on, on this topic. And um, yeah, so enjoy your movement period. It's your second last one of this retreat. Um, in Montreal, it's a beautiful day, so maybe you'll, you'll be able to get out a bit for that. So, yeah. So I'll see you back here in about 43 minutes. <clears throat> Pardon. Coral actually shared with me during that movement period um, something that, that they work, how, how they might work with the difficult person that I loved. And so, Coral, if you want to share that. Yeah, so in somatics experiencing, sometimes we, uh, we, you know, there's someone in our life that's difficult. And you can often think about this person and say, where would, like Dawn mentioned this, like, 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 where would you want this difficult person to be? They don't have to be near you, like in your mind, in your space. But how far away would, would your difficult person be? Would they be in the room with you on the other side of the room? Would they be outside your house? Would they be down the block? And just feeling that space like in your body, like is that enough space down the block? Or do they need to be like outside your city or in another neighborhood in your city? Is that far enough away? Or perhaps they need to be in the United States or Mexico or somewhere in another continent so just feeling into your your nervous system and into your body like where does this person need to be that your body feels good and perhaps it's like uh more something with maybe more charge more resentment and maybe you want them actually off earth perhaps you want them on another planet another galaxy you know, many galaxies away. So just noticing like where you would put this person um, and, your, and your body will tell you like how far away they need to be to you, for you to feel safe and comfortable. Um, and that changes over time. Like that's what, how it is today, but it's not always like that. So I think that's it. Thanks, Coral. I love that so much, especially the a galaxy far, far away, um, or that possibility. I love that. <clears throat> Pardon. So another, um, another opportunity to just share some, some more reflections on this practice. And so over the days, you may have been tuning into how it's not 
only pleasant that's what is arising. Um, in regards to the loving kindness practice or just practice in general over the, the last um, day and a half. And Vipassana practice is often talked about as a purification practice. It's a practice that helps to bring to the surface um, just that which is blocking us from seeing our true nature. And when the stuff comes to the surface, it can be experienced in a quite an unpleasant way. Um, we come against stuff. And it's not that we're doing anything wrong by any means. Actually, it means it's perfectly working because this is, again, that purification practice. Um, and the way that I see loving kindness practice, it's a little bit like um, window cleaning, outdoor window cleaning. And so before I moved to this apartment, a couple, like not yet two years, I used to live on Saint Laurent. Those of you who are in Montreal, you know Saint Laurent. It's like nicknamed the main. It's a very busy street. And I was living on the ground floor. And so I had windows that were facing Saint Laurent. And and again, if you're from Montreal, you know the the seasons we get here. And um, I find in a lot of ways, loving kindness can be like that window that's facing a very busy street that may not have been cleaned for years or decades or something like that. And then once we start turning our attention to it with our loving kindness phrase, it's, it's like we're finally kind of getting the, the grime off the window. But if anyone has cleaned something that was neglected for a long time, it's pretty grody, I, I would say. And that sometimes it's like thick, dust and dirt and stuff comes up and um, and it's quite unpleasant. But you might still see the value in continuing to do it. You don't say turn away at the first sign of like thick layers of dirt on your window. But it might also feel like, is this even working? What's the point? And then at some point you might actually break through the, the layers caked onto the window and you might be able to see through the window. And then that might be enough to be like, ooh, let me, let me keep doing this a little bit more or something like that. And so you might end up with a window that feels or that eventually becomes clean. However, my windows on Saint Laurent, it wasn't like great, cleaned, done. You know, it's some, it was something that I needed to tend to over and over with the seasons, with like the big trucks that would pass by, splash on the window, stuff like that. And so it's it's this practice that um, yeah this this purification practice. My friend Kate Johnson, who teaches in our BIPOC sangha as well, and wrote the book Radical Friendship. Um, she she speaks of it, and I use this term already on our retreat. Um, that that grime or that purification. It's really the practice shaking up all that all that is inside of us that is not love. But when I would hear the term purification practice, I would sometimes look around the room and I don't know if people do this in Zoom so much, but certainly in person retreats, I did this a lot and I'd look around the room and I'd be like, God, everyone looks so peaceful. Like they're doing it right. What's wrong with me? And I would always be like in, felt like tumultuous and turmoil. And then I thought like, oh, purification. 
I feel like I'm stuck on the spin cycle when some other people, like one person, like two, two cushions down from me, it looked like they were, you know, smiling, eyes closed. And I was like, they're in the gentle hand wash with warm water and special soap purification cycle or something like that. And so all this to say, it's very different for each one of us. Um, and despite, I sometimes think like, why am I still in this practice if it's so intense for me? But it's because what comes from it is just so valuable that, um, that I love this practice despite the ringer it might put me through sometimes. Anyways, all this to say that what, what comes up, that which is getting shaken loose, for example, or I've heard it, um, some teachers sometimes describe loving uh, the heart qualities, the heart practices, as like this magnet that brings to the surface that which is blocking us from seeing our true nature. And so when, when this stuff comes up or we start bumping up against, say, impatience or resistance or reasoning like, no, there's not enough metta for that person or that group of people, it's arising in a way that it allows us to explore and investigate what's blocking us instead of, say, turning away and maybe perpetuating those habits of mind that might turn into um, opinions, maybe family norms, cultural norms. And then I think, you know, if ever we hold on tightly or without awareness to some of these, um, these thoughts and opinions, then if we hold positions of power, then they could become rules and law. And so that's why I think it's really important, even if we might not agree with what might arise, that we have a responsibility to look at the thoughts and opinions that do arise in our heart. And so it's important to see, see these, these unpleasant things, unpleasant states that are arising so that we can remove them as obstacles that get in the way of us responding in this world, or at least responding in a way that creates less suffering for ourselves and others now and in the future. Um, a lot of times when I hear, actually, I haven't heard this um, lately, like in the past couple years, and maybe because people are starting to sense into the importance of equality like loving kindness. But it was quite common for me to, to hear that um, folks didn't want to practice mindfulness or loving kindness because they were afraid that it would make them weak or, or too nice and that they needed this certain edge to help keep them safe. Like this, this um, hypervigilance in a way. And yet love is also strong. One of my friends and like fiercest teachers that I know of, Conda Mason, says that when we look at the people we really honor the most as a whole or as a collective globally, it's those who love indiscriminately, who have the biggest hearts and who are generous with their love that are revered, like Nelson Mandela, Dr. King, Alice Walker, Mahatma Gandhi. And so love is also strong. Um, this morning I talked a little bit about 
um, how we, if we apply loving kindness or we send loving kindness too quickly to somebody that is difficult or a group of people that are difficult to us, then it could be a way for us to avoid what we're feeling. Even a, a, a way to maybe paper over or blanket over the hurt we feel caused by that person or group of people. And then I mentioned how loving kindness to ourself or um, karuna, compassion, which is the loving heart, the loving and kind heart when it, when it touches suffering, the natural arising is compassion. And so we might need to send that to ourselves first before we rush to send metta to a difficult person. And I just wanted to bring that back once again. It's not like I'm saying anything new or different necessarily, but just to reiterate or to drive the point home again that it's important for us to let ourselves feel what we feel, to allow whatever might come up and meet it with kindness, especially in divisive and activating times like these. Where one can be, or when we can be so hard on ourselves for having certain feelings or not wanting to do something. Um, it's really important to tune into them. Dr. King has said, love is the only force available capable of changing an enemy into a friend. He didn't lay out the path. And so I like to say, even if we need to go through ourselves or, or to do this U-turn to send metta or compassion to ourselves before we can transform that, that person into a, that enemy into a friend. And I think it's important to allow ourselves to feel what we feel because our feelings have a role in our lives. Um, and I don't believe that we need to mute or vipassanize any of our emotions, like be aware of it enough so it goes away. Um, I think I gave the example of anger um, maybe yesterday, but loving kindness in the face of anger helps me respond and tend to my anger instead of react to it. Because when I'm not mindful, my anger just wants to hurt other people in that moment because I'm hurt, I feel threatened, boundaries were violated. And so it's, it's kind of like a reptilian response. It's like I want to attack or, or hurt others. And in some ways, loving kindness can be um, an ant mm, can be supportive for hatred. Um, or a balancing factor. In the sense that, as I mentioned yesterday, my hatred or hatred generally tends to dehumanize. And so when I'm able to meet my anger with loving kindness, it, I'm not trying to change my anger. I'm tending to the part of myself that is hurt and then from there, the, that second aspect of mindfulness and then what we do next matters, as Ruth King says, then I choose wisely from there 
What do I want to do with what my anger was trying to tell me now that the wrath of it, the unhinged part of it that wants to just hurt others has passed, then often it's a lot more clear what's left behind, at least for me. And not always, it's, it's still a practice, but sometimes it's like needing to, as I mentioned, maybe having that difficult conversation with somebody, calling someone in, <clears throat> organizing, petitioning, protesting, um, etc. Alicia Garza, the founder of BLM, um, has said, for us, a BLM, Black Lives Matter. For us, Black Lives Matter is really a rehumanization project. It's a way for us to love each other again, to love ourselves and to project that love into the world so that we can transform it. So to love ourselves and to project that love into the world so that we can transform it. And so in my experience, loving kindness provides a container to hold the anger, not to change it, not to mute it, but it allows me to be a lot more responsive. Um, Bell Hooks writes, being loving does not mean we will not be betrayed. Love helps us face betrayal without losing heart. It renews our spirit so we can love again. I love that. Being loving doesn't mean we, we, we will not be betrayed. Love helps us face betrayal without losing heart. And it renews our spirit so we can love again. So that peace around just how are we practicing when we might feel betrayed? How can we not lose heart? How can it, it might hurt more, but how can it somehow bother us less so that we can pick ourselves back up and recommit to our values or the path we're on? I think for me, a, a doorway, and I'm still um, like working with it, evolving it, but I've had interesting um, relationships with each of the categories for, um, f for practicing metta. At first there was resistance to practicing it for myself. And then all of a sudden, at some point it was like, yes, this necessity, the survival mechanism. Practicing with benefactors was was fun because it was I would bring them in to send them meta have them send meta to me, and then when when I would soften it was just like hey back at you and so it, it was very fun. The neutral category it was more like this experiment like let's see I don't know kind of thing but it was um, I would maybe gloss over the neutral one it would be a little bit more superficial. The difficult, I would, it, it was difficult. <laughs> and then all being sometimes it was like, oh, not a lot of time. Let me just tack this one in. So sometimes it was like a quick one and 
not spending um, a lot of time with it. And so, and so it, it, so it changes over the years, but that's kind of like what I noticed at some points, my relationship with the, the different categories. But in order to transform my relationship to working with that difficult category or that challenging category, um, I think, as I mentioned yesterday in the Q&I period, is uh, I feel like my doorway might be through the neutral category. And it's a lot more subtle. But I, when I work with neutral, I try to work with it in, say, public spaces, every, when I can, when I remember, like um, at an airport or a, or a cafe, or if you're sitting on, I don't know, by a window and you see people walking by or something like that. And so they may, a lot of these people may be neutral, but I, but I was noticing in my mind how based on say um, age, um, what they wore, my perception of um, their socio socioeconomic or education level. And then from there, what political affiliation I might have put them in and then, and then applied all these assumed values onto them, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like from them passing by race, age, I said age, race was one gender. <clears throat> it was just so interesting to start seeing this. And it was at times quite horrifying that these were thoughts that are in this system somehow, this the system of dawn. And yet, I don't know where they came from. They're not in line with my values. Um, and so as I mentioned, even though these thoughts are not who we are, I do believe we need to take a responsibility for them because if they go untended un, um, to or unattended, who knows what they can manifest into. And so when I started seeing that practicing neutral for the uh, practicing meta for the neutral category took on a whole new meaning. It wasn't just this fun experiment or something like that. But just noticing how I quickly could put people into camps and teams. They're safe, they're not, etc. And then how loving kindness for neutral can reshape the moment and reshape the heart and mind via this intention, this caring uh, wish for their well-being. And then I just see in the chat, wondering if you can speak to the fake meta is better than real aversion within this conversation about not avoiding and allowing ourselves to feel what we feel. So I'm not sure I totally understand. So within this conversation about not avoiding and allowing ourselves to feel what we feel. Oh, okay, I think I get it. Yeah, great, um, great comment. I think that comment the way that I interpret the, that saying from Carol, the fake meta is better than real aversion, is in regards to, to people, um, as opposed to what we're feeling. At least that's how I interpret it. Aversion can be quite strong. So aversion is, um, shows up in many places in the teachings. 
um, as one of the three poisons, one of the hindrances, for example. And in some ways, it's not considered the opposite of mindfulness, but I like to think that in mindfulness or in this practice of meditation, there's like two very simple formulas. One formula with aversion is that when we are um, aversive to something unpleasant, what usually happens is that whatever we're aversive to gets stronger. The others, the flip side of like a, a formula, and I'm not sure why it shows up as a formula in my mind, but, but when we're mindful of something unpleasant or pleasant, no, let me rephrase. When we're mindful of something unpleasant in our practice, mindfulness makes it weaker. And then there's like a, a little 2B formula, which is when we're mindful of that which is wholesome, like noticing moments of loving kindness present or, or moments of mindfulness or moments of patience or calm, then mindfulness makes it stronger. And so in that sense, mindfulness is powerful, but aversion can be powerful too. And sometimes we could be aversive to many things at once, but if we address the aversion itself, it tends to transform our relationship to the many things we're being aversive to. And so in that sense, again, mindfulness can be quite powerful. And so... Um, the way that I interpret this, um, that comment in relation to, to this part of the talk is that if we continue being aversive in subtle ways to a person or a group of people and, and we're not able to catch it, then that can fester and morph into other, um, to other um, characteristics that aren't onward leading or aren't helpful that can actually cause more harm. Um, the fake metta, I don't, I don't, um, I don't apply it to like, to us because then that could be the, the spiritual bypassing where it's like, what I'm feeling is unpleasant, let me do fake metta. Um, and that's, and it might look the same on the surface, but it's, um, it's the how we're practicing. You know, so we might be feeling something unpleasant and then we might apply or we might give ourselves self-compassion, but, but I think it's like in the how, the fake metta, if, if we did do it toward our own feelings, could, could feel graspy. Like, can you go away? As opposed to, this is hard, I'm with you. Let's, let's go through this together. Um, so I'm not sure if that helps to clarify um, just a few words on that. I don't have a pretty way to necessarily finish this talk, like something that ties it all up together in this neat way. But I'm, I'm really tuning into how loving kindness can Just, just something around the all beings. Like, how can the all beings be more than just a performative thing we do at the end of our, of our practice? 
And I think it's it's that second aspect of mindfulness, the how we um, I'm getting a little distracted. I'm getting some chats. Um, lost my train of thought but just just how we're um living or bringing this into the world i think is really um is really where the rubber hits the road and i feel as well that mindfulness one of the traps is it can make us passive if we let it but um for me mindfulness or this practice has cleared things away. And it's actually made me more fiery in some ways because I really started leaning into the active part of mindfulness, that what we do next matters. And I, I feel like we're at a time where there's this sense, I feel a sense of urgency just on many levels, on many different fronts. So what we do next matters. And I think, as I mentioned, strength in numbers, but just um, that's where the all beings comes in, I feel, like, like drawing on community. Um, and so lately my practice has been morphing into including rituals and devotional practices because it all feels really hard to hold on my own. So bring asking Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion for some help, turning toward community in ritual to help hold this hurt, to mobilize, etc. Um, so that so that it's not just words that I do for 15 or 20 minutes a day, but rather it comes alive in my life in very real ways in everything I do. And I personally practice and teach so that because I believe that there's a way that this could, this practice can really impact social change, but but not if we keep it to our cushions. And so a lot of times it's like getting involved, uh, heeding the call for causes, etc. I'm just reading this chat to see if there's something. Oh, beautiful. So I'm going to share this. It was a direct message, so not sure if it's meant to be uh, anonymous, but. As a racialized person, the putting people into categories is a defensive way to keep myself safe in public. So loving kindness for a neutral person for me is a way to reduce my own suffering and encourage an internal sense of safety, as well as sending loving kindness to neutral people. Beautiful, yeah. I love hearing how folks are um, being creative with this practice. Um. What's arising for me right now is wanting a way to finish this nicely or like tightly. Um, and, and I think I'm more left with a question. And so just perhaps sharing or co-holding the question with you, but it's, it's just how can this practice of loving kindness that for many decades myself, well, no, many years, I've been receiving it as just this very individual practice or this very focused on dawn practice in, in different ways, but I'm really, <clears throat> really wanting to, to, 
hear and find out how loving kindness comes alive in very real ways or can come alive in real ways in the world as a response to all that is going on. And so that's my question, like how to do, how to do it. Um, I know I err toward, say, um, overwhelm quickly sometimes. And so equanimity can come in or, you know, and so I'm just really playing with that and feeling into it. Yeah. So maybe the question I leave with you is how can you have your loving kindness practice be a reflection of your love that you have for yourself and others, but that isn't just like a like sweet looking at the, at people or at strangers, but like that can have an impact. At least that's what I'm personally interested in my own life. So with that, let's just um, have a moment of turning inward. Allowing whatever is here to be here. And it may be, I don't know, for me, I'm sensing a, a sense of uh, a feeling of incomplete incompletion and but I'm okay with that because it feels like a uh, a journey maybe curiosity or unsettledness Maybe a yearning for things to be different somehow, whether in this moment or for all beings. How can our metta come alive in a way that really is a reflection for when we practice loving kindness for all beings?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.